afternoon. Welcome to Chest Air Friday. It's Brent Rosen. I am at Cafe Henri with Neil Bodenheimer. Hi. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's good to, to have you on. And we've been chatting a little bit before we hit the record button. But the big topic I think we have today is Tales of the Cocktail. Yep, absolutely. When, when does Tales officially start? Uh, I'm just gonna try and get the dates right here. Okay, uh, you can refer to your cheat sheet. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna pull out my phone because I've only looked at it a hundred times to look up these dates now. And it depends. When does it officially start, or when does it start? When for does us? it start for you? I guess that's maybe the better. When does it start for the New Orleans bartending community? Is people from so all over? Maybe we officially should... officially it starts on Tuesday, July 18th. Um, it used to start on, on the Wednesday, but now it starts on, on Tuesday. And it goes through Sunday, July 23rd. Um, so that's a full it's, week. It's turning into a full week. And we'll start to see people on Sunday and Monday of that week. And then we'll continue to see people through Tuesday. So and it's actually beyond should, a full we week. We may have gotten ahead of ourselves a little. So what is Tales of the Cocktail? So Tales of the Cocktail is, a, uh, is for all intents and purposes, a, uh, it's a cocktail convention. It has really humble beginnings in New Orleans, and it turned into the preeminent cocktail conference in all of the world. Really? So you're going to say the world now at this point? Yeah, it's at this to be point, that yeah, at this point, I think it's pretty clear that it's the most influential um, cocktail conference in the world. And so what did it start out as? It started off as a marketing campaign for Southern Comfort, a meetup of cocktail of, of interested in profession, interested parties and professionals around the, the carousel bar at the Monteleone. I mean, I think it was a bar room full of people in the beginning. Wow. And that was how long ago? And I th- want to say that was 15 years ago. Uh, I, I have we to take call a look. It, we'll call it around 10 or 15 years. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely over 10. Yeah. Um, I think we're, I think we're at 15 now. And how many people will attend this year? You know, just to guess off the top of my head, I think they had like ten to 15,000 last year. I think you'd expect roughly the same attendance this year. Wow. So year one, people around a bar, yeah. the Hotel Monteleone, and year, let's say 15, you're up to ten or 15,000 people. Exactly. Exactly. And what what has caused so much growth? What What is coming together that makes it seem well, like it's a necessity really for a bartender? I think it's, I mean, I, I think that number one, it's like... It's like anybody in their business career. A lot of it has to do with being at the right place at the right time. 07 is really, you know, year year one of the modern craft craft cocktail movement. I mean, there, there's you could argue that it goes back further, but if you look at it as the beginning of what we know today, what's the what's the thing that sort of marks it as a beginning? Is there like an influential bar that opened or um, certain? I would say it's got to either be probably Death and Company and PDT. Okay. And those are the ones I was kind of thinking of. Yeah, is, I mean, sort of but really you can go back further because, you know, if you look at probably 05 is Pegu Club and around 05 is probably employees only too. I'd have to, you know, I'd have to go back. Sometime about 07, you know, let's say that this has been 10 years of the explosion of craft cocktails. And, you know, what has, what has changed and... I think that you look at Tails, and Tails was actually started right around that time, and then or a little bit before, and then it was kind of just getting its legs under it right as the craft cocktail scene explodes. Right. So it was almost like the, the wave came, and Tails was ready to jump. Yeah, on. they were totally in the. They were totally ready for it. 
and they've grown and, and done a good job of making sure that they're providing what, what people want. You know, my wife was doing Mountain Valley's marketing yeah. from the early years of Tales. And it's, I remember going to a couple of Tales events, and now I've been to a couple more recently, the last few years. And I, and I, I asked, I was like, wait, is this the same festival that you took me to it's, eight years ago? And she was like, yeah, it's, it's grown this much. And then and we started so, to look so much more polished, too. And yeah, there's a lot more programming and a lot more production. And well, I'm, I want to talk about some of the parties that are coming, but... One of the other things that's amazed me is, like, we were living in Montgomery, Alabama before we came here, uh-huh. and bartenders in Montgomery, Alabama come to Tales. Yep. It's, it's, like, it's not like it's just the big cities and it's, you know, craft no, cocktail No, no, I mean, I think that's what makes craft cocktails so interesting is that the, the brand money is still concentrated in the big cities, but the interest and the enthusiasm is all over now. And some of the, so you can see a lot of really cool stuff happening. Um, in Montgomery, Alabama. You can see it happening. We did a bar consult at Apothecary in Jackson, Mississippi, and that's a great place. It's not just a, it's not just a major metropolitan area thing anymore, and, and, that's, and it's great. Yeah, I've seen a lot of different spread, perspectives on it. The spread of, of kind of cocktail culture is, yeah. is really... You know, I think a lot of people, we used to always say this in the beginning, if you could get a, a good drink in any city across the country that we had done a good, you know, that, that, the, that the goal had been met. And I think that goal has been met. Yeah, I think at this point, there's not anywhere that yeah. can't get a good cocktail somewhere. Throw a dart at a map of the U.S. right now, and we could probably, if it's in a, it has a decent population center, there's probably a place making decent cocktails. And to go back to Tales, the, there's about to be 15,000 people here, and they're here to learn, of course. What are some of the educational components? I mean, the schedule is jam-packed, and Anne and her team have done a good done a good job throughout the year of turning Tales 365, and they actually have some content now um, to keep everybody invested through the year. But I mean, you'll see anything from you know how to use your waste in a bar. You'll see stuff about how to use your waste. Yeah, how to use your waste. How like, to reuse your waste. How oh, to, not like your your waist, your body part. I was no, no, like, no, no. Like how to use your waist? Like you could hula hoop back there. Yeah, your w a s t e. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, you know how it's to a homonym. Yeah, a, I mean, but that's but that's a common as the bar has has gotten closer to the kitchen. Um, we have the same the same problems that the kitchen has, which is how do you repurpose your waste? So like you, you bought too many grapefruits. You're peeling. I mean, the most common bar one is you are peeling too many oranges for orange peels, but there aren't enough orange juice cocktails because orange juice cocktails don't generally taste that good. Orange juice is a perfect beverage on its own. It has the right amount of sweetness. It has the right amount of acidity. It is great to drink on its own. But when you start to mix it in cocktails, you're looking to add certain things. You're looking to add sweetness. You're looking to add acidity. And you generally want a building block that is more pure than that. What do you do with your leftover oranges? So we do one of two things. I mean, a very common thing is if you serve brunch, you you have some sort of orange juice cocktail like a mimosa or a variation of a mimosa. Um, try and find a way to put orange juice on your menu in some some format, whether it be you can make a shrub out of it, you can make a cordial, you can acidulate it with um, with malic acid or citric acid or and to create a more 
a sharper version of orange juice. Um, and then what benefit does that give you if you make orange juice sharper? Is that You can use it in more, in more things. Okay. So it's, it goes from being something that is has a, just a few functions to being a pretty... So more like a lime juice where yeah. you can sort of really rock with it, do a yeah. lot of things. Exactly. Um, it. So and it's all these little details that are like... Yeah, you could, I could see a class on that. Yeah. You know, kind of your well, juicer and you and... I mean, and that's just one example. One them, right. I mean, you can get into, into, into copyright stuff. You can get into trademark stuff. You can do, yeah, I mean, all sorts of business. Um, you have the business of cocktails and the business of bars, and you have uh, a specific thing that could be as, as strange as a class on three different cachaça producers doing a cachaça class or a vintage spirits class or um, one company is... Uh, introducing a line of, you know, a, a new line of something, and they want to do that. There's tastings, there's classes, there's events, parties. Um, I was going to ask about the parties next. Maybe we'll yeah. just go straight to that. Because what are some of the... I mean, they've gotten elaborate. They they always were elaborate, but I think that there is a sense of one-upsmanship um, that kind of keeps on happening. So is it between the different sort of brands that are one-upping each other? Definitely. Definitely. And seems to be that there is no, no, no limit to their expense. Yeah. What really stood out from some of the parties in the past? Which ones well, have just I, been... You know, I, I don't get to go to a lot of the parties because I have to work. But um, kind of consistently, the, the William Grant party is the one that's kind of talked about as being, being consistently the, the highest, highest production value. Mm-hmm. What, is, what, um, is it, what are their portfolio? Their um, Hendrix, uh, Milagro... Uh, they have Balvini, Monkey Shoulder, Glenfiddich, uh, Reka Vodka, let's see, Montalobos, Mezcal. Uh, they just bought Hudson Whiskey. Oh, really? Um, I know I'm forgetting a, a huge one, and I just, uh, it'll come to me. Tullamore Dew. <clears throat> what are the big parties this year? William Grant. Um, yeah, but you always have Bartender's Breakfast is a big one after the Tales Awards uh, on Saturday. Um, what is the Bartender's Breakfast? I've the, never been to that. Bartender's one. Breakfast is the kind of like late night Saturday night of Tales the extravaganza. It's it's huge. Um, there was actually two years ago we worked it, um, and it was at the Press Street Station at the the Noka facility, and the power went out in the Bywater, and it was. We we had just finished. We were right by the door, so we just we sold all of our cocktails and we said, "Okay." Just slipped out the and door. The power went off right as we finished, and we went. We walked right out. Enough of that. Yeah. You know, there's the parties. There's the education. I would imagine a lot of it for you is it just great to see a bunch of people from all over it is. the place I mean, who come to town. I'm always excited to see. I mean, I have so many friends that come in for it. Um, you know, I mean, it's the the free moments I get. I, lo- I love to catch up with my friends. I have a lot of old friends from New York that come down that I don't get to see that often. And just just to spend quality time where I'm not running around is is really important. And um, you know, I got to you know, I got to have dinner with 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 my friend Kelly Thorne from Atlanta last year, um, and that was a surprise and it was great. Uh, I always get to see my friend, my good friend Vincent Favela from from New York, who I used to work with, um, and. And we get to go out, and that's you know, it's amazing. It's just like it's just like it's just like anywhere where you get to see a lot of your great friends. It's like summer camp reunion, kind of. Yeah. It's like you get to see you know it happens once a year, but it's 
It's like one of the best times, but like you said, there's a lot but, that goes into yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, if it would be... It's work, too. It would be great if it was just like, hey, I'm coming down just to like participate. Yes. And that's what it was like in the old days before Cure opened, is that I actually met my, uh, my business partner, Kirk, at, uh, at a spirited dinner. Really? We, um, yeah. You know, that's actually, you're sort of doing the transition for me, because I think, you know, we talked about tales a little, but mm-hmm. just more about your background, I think, is, you know, you're, is interesting, because we haven't really said much about... So Who I'm, you are. So, so I'm from New Orleans, really, really deep roots in the city, and I love the city immensely. And I, uh, I kind of always flirted with the, with the bar and restaurant business, but I wouldn't, didn't really think I was supposed to do it. And um, much, much like you, I, I, I flirted with the law as well, mm-hmm. but I chose not to go to law school. Well, there you go. And, uh, <laughs> and My I, flirting I, went a little bit further. <laughs> I got to like third base with the law. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh so i i remember you know i always i got my first bar job when i was 18 because you could in new orleans mm-hmm. it was still 18 to drink when i was right i'll never forget it was a, i worked at a place called the rendon inn as a bouncer with a bunch of my friends i used and to go to the rendon yeah it's uh i never realized you know i always thought i was a really tough guy back then and I never realized that they didn't hire us for our brawn. They hired us because of, we knew a lot of people that would come in. Oh, you're bringing a crowd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I re- realized that after the fact. Working at that bar, I'll never forget the the day when the law changed. It was in August of '95, and there was a giant fight that broke out. And um, right on the on the on the on the eve of the law going in, of all the 18 year olds that got kicked out on mid at midnight. And it was it was um, it was my it was my most my most active night as a bouncer when you had that. to throw them all out. It's like, sorry, eighteen year olds, you're not allowed in bars anymore. It's like that that will take people out to the streets, overturning cars. So anyway, so we um, so that was my first bar and restaurant gig, and then I always kind of bounce in and out. And actually, my brother and I we were traveling and we um, traveling around the world, and we. Uh, stopped in a place in the in Malaysia called the Corinthian Islands, and we opened up a little restaurant there. Um, I did the bar; he did the he did the cooking. Really? How did, we, how did we you end up together. in Malaysia? Well, we were traveling, and we got this tip to go check out this island, and it was great. And I had applied to law school, mm-hmm. and, um, and you weren't quite ready to go yet. And yeah, and uh, and so we said, well, why don't we stay? So so we stayed, and we did that. We did, only did it for a few months. It was. Uh, the restaurant was owned by the guys that owned these guys that owned a dive shop beneath it, and so we so we ran a little restaurant out of there. And then it, they weren't allowed to sell beer, uh, but we were as Americans, and so we sold the beer. It was a terrible, terrible gig. I mean, it, any any normal person would never sign up for this. We got to keep the profits of the food, and they got to keep the profits from the beer. And. Uh, we didn't pay rent, but that was the deal. They they took all the liquor profits. Yeah, and that's as not we a, all know. Yeah, you don't really. Uh, you always have the liquor profits. So so we um, we did that, and then we sold it back to them, and then kept on traveling. And we realized that the amount of money we were making did not counteract, counterbalance, didn't counterbalance the uh, the amount of money that our train tickets cost in Europe. So we had to get going. Oh, so, so you actually did the math and were like, we're never going to get home yeah. if we don't leave now? Exactly. So how did Cure come to be? So I was, so I was bartending in New York, and um, I tried to open Cure up there. I was starting to try and open it up there. And, I'll, you know, I'll never forget, I walked into employees only. I was writing my business plan. I really had this, like, very, like, very put-together idea of what I wanted it to be. 
I walked into employees only when they first opened and within the first week they were open and I was like motherfucker it's so close and uh, and I, I love those guys and a bunch of them have become my friends and it's um, but I also kind of realized at that moment that maybe what I was thinking for New York by the time I got my act together I would be way behind the eight ball and I uh, and frankly I just didn't think I didn't think I had the savvy at that point to open up a place in New York I started to doubt myself and I and but also could I also had the pull of Katrina had just happened and Mickey kind of want to come home yeah and I really wanted to come home and I think a lot of people with ties to the city felt like if they didn't come back that maybe there wouldn't be a New Orleans to speak of so that's uh that's how that's how I ended up back so and then did, did the business plan you'd made for New York translate at all to New well, Orleans? And, well, and and this is why I'm this is why I'm a dummy, is I just said it's gonna translate, and I just took the same business plan and I took the same idea, and I just said we're doing it here, and we never tried to change it. A le- certainly, a less savvy cocktail market down here. In some ways, it was really savvy. In some ways, and really ready for it for for the modern cocktail movement. In some ways, it was not. Oh, you know, we were just, I was just too young and stupid to know that, hey, maybe I should change this. And I think that actually ended up working out. But I mean, our first year was was tough because we were, I think we were, we didn't do a good job of messaging who we were or what we wanted to do because we didn't, and we were just trying. And you really didn't probably know you were supposed to do that yeah. too. It was and like, we'll just do it and Yeah, we'll, we'll just do it and it. yeah, and hopefully people like it. And, and, and a lot of people did and a lot of people didn't and we did a lot of things wrong, but you know, I, we had a lot of passionate people that were interested in getting it right, and I think by year two and three, we were really we were really doing a good job. And at that time, y'all were one of the first sort of new we, businesses. We opened up. We opened up at the very in, in the very beginning of February of '09. Uh, we bought the building in in '08, um, and I mean, I can't. I had multiple friends have have interventions with me. Um, my family was like, "You're insane! What are you doing?" and and I, frankly, I, I thought I was kind of crazy too, but I was also desperate. And, uh, well, and, and that was, I imagine, you know, cost-wise, was probably well, yeah, so you, you could know, bite off a little bit easier. And well, there's down. we really wanted to own the building, and then there's this push and pull between what you, how you build out, and what you what you rent or what you buy. And we knew we wanted it to be a really stunning place, and we um, and designed well, and it helps that my that my original. And, and still, still my business partner, but my first business partner, Matt. Um, he's he's a designer and builder. His name's Matt Conkey. He really wanted he's wanted to do a really stunning uh, build out, and I think he did. Oh, it's a beautiful, and, beautiful and, space. And I think that we couldn't have done that had we been elsewhere because we had to put. We were able to buy the building. We were able to put the we were able to put the money in. We were able to do the renovation to our own building for less money because of Matt's expertise in design savvy and you know we just uh, I don't know how we did it but we did it well and now it's, it's it seems like it's been there forever which is sort of like the nicest thing you can say about a place I'll, I'll pay you a compliment yeah but I, I was there a couple weeks ago before a concert at Gasa Gasa uh-huh. and it just it, it, it didn't feel revolutionary anymore mm-hmm. but it's been a while now yeah, like it's what, ten years, give or take. It's been it's been eight. Nine? It's been oh, it's been we're in our in our eighth year. Eighth. Yeah. But it really it's it's 
And one of the questions I, I have wanted to ask you, and this is something that I have talked to some spirits makers about, yeah. and it's something that I'm sure you had to face, which is people in New Orleans love alcohol, but they don't necessarily love paying for it. And it's sort of like the city is kind of built on cheap booze in a way. And when you opened up, you know, kind of a craft cocktail place where people are used to the, the $3 well vodka soda. Yeah, it's funny what, because what was sort of the, our average cocktail price when we opened up was 8 and $9. And people were outraged. Oh, they had to have been. I mean, I'm going to yeah. Miss May's the club and getting two dollar doubles. Yeah, getting two dollar doubles, but but, 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 what's but with the, what? But what's the poor? Right. That's that. That's what people don't understand. Is like when you go when you go to the to the to the to the right place and you get a two ounce pour. That is not the same as getting an ounce pour or a three quarter ounce pour or maybe an ounce and a half pour. Get, the math doesn't add up. It's just that people think they're paying less, but the ice is different. The amount of booze is different. You're not, it's not apples to apples. Right. And then the booze is Crown Roos. And yeah. that's how you know you'll be hungry and you're, tomorrow. And you are paying more per ounce for Crown Roos than you would pay for Grey Goose in most places. In like, if you were to break it down by the, yeah. yeah. So what, did, was that something you kind of had to fight though? Was it, was Absolutely. it an educational? Well, there was, there, there was a lot thing? of stuff that we had to fight. I mean, we had to fight the people's preconceived notion of what something costs um, and now we're on actually on the inexpensive side of craft cocktails oh so yeah if, you're, if your prices haven't gone up by too much you are definitely on the our average cocktail price is $10 right and that's that's yeah. very fair for yeah there's some that go up higher that have, that have you know more stuff yeah more, like harder to get stuff or you know or more expensive items you know when we opened we, we fought with, with a few things number one we had to get people out of this this idea of the automatic order. It's a lot easier today than it was then. Was it, I mean, even though there was a history of cocktails here, people, it was still a brand-focused order. It was a highball order. With X. Yes. I want a Jack and Coke. I want a 7 and 7. I want, you know, it was, it was all highball orders. So we had to break people of that habit. And the way we started with it is that we didn't carry brand, we didn't carry brands that people knew. That's an interesting way to go about that. So when someone says, "I want a Jack and Coke," and you, you say, "Well, I don't we have don't actually carry yeah, I don't that, have Jack and I can but, maybe show you something but, you might like." Yeah. But let me show you something a little similar. And it was it was about creating a conversation where there wasn't a conversation. Hey, I want a Jack and Coke. End of conversation. It'd be six bucks. There's no conversation there. It's a transaction. Yes, it, it's a commodity. Yeah, and then where you say, "Hey, I want a Jack and Coke." Well, I don't have Jack. I have. George Dickel, it's another Tennessee whiskey. Um, do you want it with Coke? Or I can also make it in a cocktail for you. How, you know, and you just start talking. And then it becomes a dialogue. And that's what we needed to do is we needed to create dialogues. We needed to create trust. We needed to show people that we wanted to make them drinks that they were, we wanted to take them out of their comfort zone. And we wanted to give them, we, we, we always like, used to like to say that we were in the business of first experiences. Like the first time someone's really experienced yeah. a cocktail. Well, we also in knew a way. it was a really, really memorable thing to have a first experience, right? So, like, um, in the, your first kiss, uh, your first, you know, first cigarette, first drink, you know, like the first time I had bourbon, the first time I had, you know, hey, this is the first time I had pisco, and it's like, and you want to have these like really positive, impactful moments. You want them people to have those in your bar or in your restaurant. So you're creating, you created them in yeah. a way. Yeah. In, intentionally, which is, I think, 
Is that something you think you would have had to have done as much of if you'd been able to do New York, or do you think this was I think, more? I, th- I think it was more prime for it on that on that end. Um, in New York had its own set of challenges, um, in that classics were. I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, I I pay my bills at Cure on Sazerac. I wouldn't pay my bills on Sazerac in New York. You know, I mean, if I if I put a Sazerac on a menu back then, it would have been, you know, it would have been. People would have been interested in it, but not necessarily like all about it. Well, and that's another, I think, good transition because, you know, Sazerac's and talking about cocktail preservation, you know, what what were sort of the New Orleans cocktails that kind of were still kicking around from the old days when you opened? Sazerac, the Ramos Gin Fizz, Grasshopper. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a co-opted New Orleans cocktail, but uh, I mean, the Pimm's Cup, you saw a lot of Pimm's Cups. Um, I'm trying to think about what I'm missing here. Oh, French 75, obviously. Yep. You know, I mean, another co-opted, but kind of made, you know, we, we make it with cognac here. And that's, right, which is I like better, personally. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a better drink than cognac. Um, so when, sort of as a person who thinks about cocktails and cocktail preservation, like what what is, what's the thing that gets you excited when you're looking at some of the old cocktails <laughs> and with a modern eye? Well, I, I mean, I think... This happens in a lot of different different formats, and it certainly happens in cooking. I think we never give generations before us enough credit. And okay, yeah. I think that I, I think that's I, I think that we always assume that the modern era is so much more advanced because we have more information, more technology. But I mean, you know, Henry Ramos is just just as an example. He was a, ter- he was a terrific businessman. He had a, he was totally integrated in his business. He had a, he had a, he had a chicken farm and he would. For his eggs? For his eggs. And, and I think he even had a, a, a dairy. And so he had his eggs, he had his cream, he had a solid supply of them. He knew he needed to have that in control to do what he needed to do. He had omelets, he had egg yolk omelets on the menu because he was using all whites. All the whites. Yeah. I mean, he was just waste. Yeah. talked about that earlier. I mean, he was doing. He was doing stuff that, that people would only dream to do today. I mean, it would be like, the, it would be, I mean, it would be such a precious thing today for someone to have their own, hey, well, we have our own farm and our own chickens and we're doing this and that. And cream comes from my, you know, it's like. Yeah, I would, I would put in my mind an image of you yeah. that, you know, almost pigeonholed you as some sort of back to the land traditionalist yeah. in, in an outfit. Yeah, and exactly. In the meantime, I could, back then. I could wear my, I could wear my, uh, my uh, overalls and I right. could talk about. Chewing on, chewing, yeah. <laughs> chewing on grass. Yeah. We're the getting bar. back to, but it's there's that, and I, it's also, I, I think there, there's it's a level of sophisticated drinking, and it always it always impresses me that people really drank well. And I mean, part of it is because it's uh, the idea of potable water is not necessarily, you know, it's a pretty modern concept, and and people. People got their got their liquids through beer and through cocktails, and which is which is always amazing too to read. Yeah. You know that children in, in the old days drank beer yeah. and milk basically yeah. because that's what was safe. Because it was safe. You know this idea of how we drink today and thinking about how people drank a hundred years ago. I think the sherry cobbler is a great example of a cocktail that was a sherry cobbler. A sherry cobbler that was almost like the soda pop of its time. You know, it was really low proof, but it was safe. 
It was fruity and it was like... It tasted was, good? Yeah, yeah, it tasted great. And that supported a business that probably has never really recovered to its peak yet, even though there's a lot more interest in the sherry business. But, I mean, people use sherry for everything back then because it was so low proof. You're talking about some of the classic stuff. Do you have a pretty extensive library of old cocktail books? Uh, I actually do not. We used to have a, a, a decent um, a decent collection, um, and they all kind of folded into Cure, and some of them went missing over the years, and I just never put it back together. Um, you know, I'll look through the old ones sometimes. The, the cool thing is there now are some great, um, some great resources online. Um, I was actually just looking at some like a bunch of old out of print cocktail books that are that are now posted online. I mean, Mud Puddle Books is a great is a great um, resource for that too. That's Greg Bohm who owns uh, Cocktail Kingdom, and it's always good to read through these things, and it's always interesting to think about think about the process. Unfortunately, I don't get to spend as much time thinking about drinks as I used to. I spend more time managing, managing, and worrying about the businesses and doing all that stuff. Um, you know, it's a shame. I mean, that was one of the first things that I had to give up when I opened Cure. I kind of opened Cure to have a place to do the kind of bartending that I wanted to do. And within a year, I wasn't bartending because yeah. I had to run the business. And I remember the first time someone said, hey, listen, I need money. Can I work? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to take money out of your pocket. Go, yeah, go work. Take a shift. And yeah. there's, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with, with, with employing people. Someone's got to run the business. That's, I, I talk about this a lot, that... It's almost like you get good enough at something that you don't do it anymore. And it happens. Uh, we, we, we were just talking. We were just talking about. That. I was talking with my business partner Kirk, Kirk Stopanol, mm-hmm. about it today. And uh, I mean, Kirk is one of the most talented bartenders you'll ever you'll ever see. And we spend all of our time on management. And we've also hit this point where we're getting into the area where like real business guys live, and we don't know how to do that. So we're like trying to. You know, we're trying to learn, learn more on that to get better at, at running a business, and until you hopefully get good at that. Until you get good at that, and then yeah, and yeah. then you end up doing something else you're not good at. <laughs> I think but, that's how. Uh, I, think, I think that's what ambition looks like. It's just it, constantly doing things, constantly getting good enough at things to not do them anymore. Yeah, we're we're just about out of time. Is there anything you would recommend to someone coming to Tales of the Cocktail for the first time? What what's a way for them to get their most out of it? I mean, I think I think it depends on what, on how you're coming down. Um, if you're on a budget, I think the dining and drinking stuff at the local bars and restaurants is, is, is really great. Because you get you you know you get a taste without having to spend a ton of money. Uh, I recommend one you know look through the schedule, find a class that you're really interested in, or someone who's speaking that you're really into, and go and go sit in. Um, I think it's important to go out and go enjoy New Orleans. I think that's I think New Orleans is the biggest character in Tales that we don't talk about that often. It's an amazing place and it gives you it gives you an excuse to really go dine and drink around town and and go sit and have a beer with someone who you admire. Or maybe whose work you know, whose work you admire or or get to meet someone who you who you don't know that does does the same work as you. Um, that's on the professional aspect and then if you're if you're if you're coming um, as as as, a, as an attendee and you don't work in the business, I think that you really just want to go and kind of take it in, go to a party or two, and and just be around. The energy is incredible, and you've got a lot of excited people in town, and it's 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 just a really fun time. 
Well, that's great. And yeah. I'm excited about it. It's always yeah. fun. And I've got some people coming to town that are staying at my house who, you know, be dealing with uh, my drunk buddies for a week straight. Of, yep. That's how it goes. And that's how it goes. But yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with us. It was really yeah, interesting to talk about cocktails and, and spirits and Tales is coming. This will, yeah. I think we're going to post, post this one the Wednesday after July 4th. So that'll be oh, wow. about two weeks yeah. out. So you get ready now and we'll see you at Tales in a couple weeks. Thanks a lot. Thank you.